With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Jonathan Pierce. Eric Cantona has jumped in and sees a kung fu kick. A man. Terry Alderton. Do you like shoes, madam? And friends. <laughs> <laughs> JP. The mad side of genius. And T. Good to meet you, love. The football friendly. Hello everybody, welcome to JP and T, the football friendly. Mr Terry Alderton, how are you today? Very good, very good. I've been uh, working for the uh, for MI5 again this week, so uh, I've got to keep everything on the hush-hush. On the right. shush-shush-shush, yeah, a lot, a, lot, a lot of things going on. I've been, uh, you know, I can't tell you, but things are happening with Putin, mate. Well, I was, I was at Chelsea. I, I was wondering, wondering about the wonderment of this modern world. I was at Chelsea against Chelsea, Leeds Chelsea, Chelsea. on Saturday at Stamford Bridge where I saw my very first football match in 1966. And um, it was a 0-0 draw. My second football match was Halifax-Bristol Rovers. It was a 0-0 draw. My third football match was Bristol Rovers-Port Vale. It was a 0-0 draw. And my fourth football match, and the first on God's side of the river, was Bristol City nil, Derby nil. I... I had no idea what it was about football, to be honest. Because You must be thinking, this is one boring game. I know. Anyway, so I'm sat in the tube... Mm. At West Brompton, and my son's in Buenos Aires. My eldest is in my eldest son is in Buenos Aires at the moment, and I thought, well, I'll just see if I can catch him. 
on the off chance. I'm on a mobile phone on a tube train overland at West Brompton speaking to my son who's in Buenos Aires. And I, he said, Dad, have you seen the... He's a big Brighton fan. Have you seen the Brighton goals? And I said, no, I've been at Chelsea. He said, oh, I've, oh, I, watched, I watched the early game and I've been watching the Brighton game. And I'm thinking, this, this is unbelievable. The, the fact that we live in such a modern age where you can do all these things. And I, yeah. I was chuckling to myself. And it's another- amazing that, that doing that. And don't, don't forget, my, my mum, right? My mum's up on all this stuff, on all this tech now. And she's, uh, she doesn't exist. But she's, she's, she's well up there, bless her. She's not that old, but she's getting on. But she didn't see a banana till 1956. <laughs> I mean, that's where we're at. 1956, people started to see bananas, right? The war had just ended, blah, blah, blah. And now you're on a train to Buenos Aires well you're on the train to it and another quick word before we get to our guest because he'd appreciate oh, this one this guest it, is a I, was down guest. A, I was down at Ashton Gate to watch Bristol City against Manchester City I went down a day early to meet some of my friends and I was in a pub called The Old Duke in King, in King Street um, in Bristol a big famous jazz pub and I was in there and I'd had a few with friends earlier and I sat there and I texted that to some of my, my friends that I was in The Old Duke and they started phoning me up and saying oh you're banned from there Pierce you're banned so yeah, well, this what, refers you drink, to this, you this drink re- pubs and bands. No, no, no. This refers to an incident in May 1985 of my first stag night. <laughs> a group of Cardiff fans came across. There was an altercation. I have to put my hand up, and I, my guests will appreciate this. And um, the rivalry between Bristol and Cardiff is strong over the years. Anyway, so I'm chatting away about being banned in the old Duke, and one of these girls was sitting next to me. Went up, must have said something behind the bar. So the landlords come up to me and said, "Are you are you banned, son? Are you banned?" And I went, May 1985. And he's turned around and gone, listen, a ban's a ban. No. He just stared at me and I went, what? And he went, anyway, enough of that. Come on, let's have a pint. So then we, uh, you know, we had a- I love the fact he called your son. What was he? What was he? 170? And Well, listen, (laughs) listen, this man we're going to speak to- Get the guest on, because he's the best guest. Yeah, I know. And he'll have more than 170 memories of Bristol. Come on, get him on. It's Mr. Ian Holloway. Ah, oh, he's a joy. This is a joy. <laughs> Look oh, at you, Piercy. Eh? Look at you, Terry. How are you? Mate, oh, it's so fine. good to have you on. You've made me laugh over the years. And people say that to me being a comedian, but you are the, the you're where your heart and your sleeve, you tell how it is. You're just I just thought my, my first initial thoughts was I wonder who bought him that pint because he's tight as a duck's ass, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's watertight. He's never bought me a drink in his life. <laughs> <laughs> straight in, straight in on you, Piercy. Have that, Piercy. Have that one, mate. Listen, I've, I've, I said to Ian the other day, I said, will you come on? He said, yeah, I'd love to come on. He said, I'll never, I'll, I won't forgive you for one thing. He said, I hate you for one thing. You you, you support the wrong side of the city. You're, you're a city man through and through. I heard you say God's side the other day. I don't know what you're talking about there, mate. He won't be seen dead over there. <laughs> I love the fact that you're rivals, aren't you? What, what one's the what one's a shithead and who's the gashead? I never can work. I'm out. A, I'm a gashead. You could tell he's a complete one of those. Yeah. Yeah, you can you could can I? Could yeah. you not have signed for City back in your your dad? Your your dad Bill played a big role, didn't he? Um, for you, Ian. Um, yeah. And 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 uh, really help push you into a career I think is that true but could you have signed for the Rovers for the City yeah the, I had a trial match and uh, when I was nine years old I was two years too young to be sent really but my school teacher asked my dad my dad took me up we had to borrow his boss's car um, and I, I got brought off after five minutes so I'm really upset on the side there and up comes a Bristol Rover scout and a 
two Bristol City scouts and the Rover scout said, we want you to come with us. What you Cheer yourself up, mate. You're going to be captain. Anyway, cut a long story. My dad, being my dad, said, yeah, you both come round our house tomorrow and do a pitch. So he sat me down before they came and said, I want you to choose. There, there are two professional clubs in this, you know. So in come Bristol City first. They took one look around our council house and said, you never forget it, Mr. and Mrs. Holloway, you'll never have to buy him a pair of boots in his life. We're going to give you a three-year apprenticeship and a one-year pro. That'll take him until he's 21. We think he's brilliant. Now I'm nine. So out they go. In comes a fella called Gordon Bennett. Right? <laughs> never forget it. He Gordon marched in. Bennett. He went, which one's he on? Now there's only my mum and my dad in the room. <laughs> this is it, you know? <laughs> which one's he on? And he looked at me and he went, my scout tells me you're average. How good do you want to be? And then he went on talking about, I'm going to check your school in. I'm going to give you the best coaching I can get you. I will give you our first team coaches all the way throughout because we want you to, to, to know how to play football, pass and move. And at the end of the day, it's all about you. And if you don't do it, we'll, we'll have a Welsh lad instead of you because we've got two nurseries. But it's all about you. And when he left, dad said to me, quite simply, what do you think? And the truth about me not liking Bristol City was the fact I thought they promised me something that they shouldn't have promised me. I said, how do they know how good I'm going to be? Yeah. And a lot of their lads at that time who they took on had the same attitude as that. They didn't make it, mate. Mm -hmm. So I went, I, I'm going to go with a bloke who says I'm average. And that, I knew that was what my dad would want, you know? Well, well, that's why, that's why, mate. That's why I chose Rovers, because I felt they told me the truth. Well, that you obviously went the right way then. Well, the the, the group I the group I trained with at Bristol City when I was fourteen, fifteen. Um, but none of us none of us made it. But three years, two or three years below us was the Rob Newman, Ricky Chandler, Wayne Bray lot that came in when Bristol City went bust in eighty two, and they and they all that lot made it. But we had a lad called Wiltshire who's a goalkeeper. I think he he was the closest to make it in, but none of none of that group made it. And um, Bristol Rovers had a there was a it was a bit of a maverick about Bristol Rovers. I always thought, you know, the nickname's the Pirates, and um, you know, they, when you came through, Donny Gillies was there from Bristol City. But I people don't know this about me, Terry. Um, when I started the Radio Bristol, I the first game I ever did commentary was Bristol Rovers against Exeter in the League Cup, and it got to extra time. And the rules were, if it went to extra time, you didn't have to pay for the commentary. We had a sports editor called David Solomon's. Remember him, Ian? Yeah, he, I do. He, yeah, he said commentate he just handed me the mic and said commentate and it went to penalties that was a year you came through you came through tail end of that season made your debut against Wimbledon didn't you was it against yeah, Wimbledon or Rex or Wrexham was it Wrexham 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 yeah Wrexham away Phil Bater played against me kicked me over the barrier <laughs> honestly and he helped bring me up but I, uh, he was a Bristol Rovers player he was and he was playing for them and I'd never been kicked so hard in my life and he was just laughing at me yeah but that's that's life you know it it, it the thing about Rovers, they, they didn't take any risks and, and they really cared about us. They took on 36, under Gordon Bennett's time for us, 36 apprentices. How many of them actually made the grade and got at least two years as a pro? How many? 34. Wow. Only two yeah, lads. Amazing. They didn't risk it. So they we had to be the best of the best. Otherwise, they wouldn't give us an apprenticeship. And it was absolutely brutal, but brilliant. 
you know, because our yeah. senior pros would absolutely hammer you if you weren't doing your job right, if you didn't knock on the door to come in the room, if you didn't clean the floor properly. We had, There was a pride about Eastville and Bristol Rovers and, and, you know, that was ingrained in them from Burtown onwards, you know, and, and I think uh, it it was a joy to be around. Do you know what I mean? And the people we produced, not just Gary Mabbott, you know, you had Tony Pulis, Geraint Williams, uh, Martin Thomas, who went to Phil Coyte, who went to Southampton, Martin Thomas, who went to uh, Tottenham. We, Vaughan Jones was probably the best captain I've ever played under in any level. Boy, he was absolutely brilliant, you know. So they made us into be something. And, and you know, I, I'm so thankful that I made that choice. Bristol City, when we played them in the youth level, they beat us 9-0 one game. And Gordon went, you, you, what are you doing? That ain't good enough. You're going to have to get, you know. Anyway, what I'm saying, none of that team made it. Mm-hmm. How is that? They were strolling around, you know. It, it's all about what you want to do. And some of these young players these days, they need a, you know, they all talk about, can you handle this? Can you handle that? We were made by the senior lads. They weren't the coaches, the senior, they weren't your manager. Your senior lads make you a good pro or not. And I don't know if you watched um, the the game yesterday, Ended a bit bizarrely, didn't it? 7-0. But when Cody Gakpo scored his first goal, did you notice Henderson, how he was pointing at him and come on, yeah, you, yeah. making him feel brilliant? That, that's yep. what pros are like about, you know? And we had hundreds of them. City had a load of good ones, but they were promised things. And I, I, I didn't want to be promised anything. I know coming from my family, I had to work my backside off. Well, also, they, had, they they come from a history, Terry, of Bristol uh, Rovers, of going back before Ian's time. I'm a little bit, I'm about four or five years older than Ian, I think. And um, before, you know, back in the day, they had they had hard players. So he's mentioned Bert Tan as a manager. Gordon Bennett was Mr. Bristol Rovers through and through. He's the sort of equivalent now of the chief executive role, I would guess. But, um, you know, they had a player called Doug Hilliard who ran a sports shop, uh-huh. a couple of good sports shops in Bristol. And after he finished playing, we all... You know, I was from the city side. We went to Doug Hilliard's sports shop because Doug Hilliard was such a name in Bristol. He was hard, wasn't he, Ian? Wasn't he ever, mate. He is the only man I have ever seen before a game eat Vic, not rub it on his chest, eat, eat. And I went, what are you doing? He went, that's when he smells my breath. He knows how tough I am. (laughs) 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 Mate. Legend in the book, how to be a football manager. You know, you talk. It's, if, if people think they're going to get a guy, like guide to tactics and everything like that, it's not that sort of book, is it? It's about the highs and lows of being a football manager and the great stories. But one of the things that disappointed you as a manager would that have been the attitude of modern pros? Um, I think it's the lack of time that a manager is given now, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's the attitude of young pros. I, I, I think that was handed to agents and professional footballers when the Bosman rule kicked in, which was totally wrong. How can you how can you say someone that was worth something when he's 23 can walk out of the club for nothing when he's 24? That's like saying that your car on the drive ain't worth nothing next year if you keep it for four years. It, how, how does that make sense? You know, so that was the killing of the game. But, but for me... I, I go back to people taking responsibility. I, I, I've been in a lot of dress rooms even recently where they players don't tell the other players the truth 
about them. They'll go and talk to someone about them. You know, there's programs on the telly, Love Island, where you're encouraged to to talk to someone and then try and go with someone else. I mean, that that that's not life for me. I don't, that that's not what it's about, and it's not just football. Football is turning too much into a business for my liking, and people like Graham Potter. Did he buy all those players at Chelsea? I don't think he did. What are they doing stepping over him? Do they realise that how good these players are doesn't matter if there's loads of them? Because they will be so unhappy. The 11 you pick, they're happy, but you got to try and keep the other ones happy and you can't possibly do that. So the horrible, toxic atmosphere you will be creating is terribly wrong. Even with Man United getting rid of one of the best players in the world, he wasn't happy. Um, thank God for that, for Manchester United's sake, you know, because you can't have bad attitudes around the place. You know, you, you've all got to be pointing the same way. And uh, really, that's the hardest bit, I, I, I would suggest. It's how can you manage when you've got two or three layers above you and you can't get to the one-on-one with the chairman like you should do? Yeah, we, we spoke you know? about this. We spoke about this. It is a ridiculous state of affairs. And the other thing is uh, exactly what you're saying, look at it from the manager's point of view. You know, it's like, well, I didn't, I don't even want you anyway, mate. You know what I mean? It's like I've got to, I've got to look after your your mental health and your being because you're not getting a game, and I, I didn't even want to bring you in. I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, well, it didn't for me. I was in Palace, and that happened, and and you know, two weeks later, I, I that was it. Me and Steve Parrish had to part ways. You know, and did you literally you know, say though, I can't be doing this if you're not letting me bring in the players I want? I can't be working with people. Yeah, like but he that. actually said it, it, it's in my book. I put it in my book. Oh, it's it's my show, Ollie, and and he's done brilliantly well. He's done fantastically well, Steve. But could I work with that? You know, well, uh, yeah, it, that, it, yeah. it, it is it is what it is, and you know we weren't winning. We 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 had. I think we had about four points out of five games or eight games or whatever it was. But, you know, Tony Pulis, I suggested that he should take over. I thought he was exactly what Steve Parrish needed. Mm. And uh, he went in and did superbly well. So, but, you know, for me, it's every club's different, every situation. But when you have players, what they want is to be part of something. They What they feel is that they want to be playing. Mm. And even... If you're in a really good club, you want to win something. Yeah, you've got to be in and around it, but you've all got to be feeling like you're moving the, the right way. Absolutely. At Chelsea, that, Chelsea at the moment, it doesn't feel like well, that. Well, that's does what it? we've, ironically, we were talking about Brighton. Uh, we were lucky enough to have uh, Paul, Paul came on and. Um, Paul Barber. Paul Barber. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it, and, and, it, and we've said this a lot of times on here, you know, if a team, it doesn't matter, you could have the cheapest players, but if they all gel as one and you as the manager and you all get on. It's a much better place to be than having a load of brilliant, brilliant footballers who just don't get on. It's, it's not going to work, right? Well, well, that that when when months after Palace had had the euphoria of winning at Wembley to go into the Premier League with Ollie in charge, and that was a wonderful day, wasn't it? Ian? That that day was that one of the big. Well, just quickly on that one, was that one of the best days of your life? That playoff win. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, the fact was, I took someone else's team up. It wasn't mine. The way they played wasn't the way that I wanted. I had to try and go go back on what I was doing to make sure we could get over the line, you know. And 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 we lost our main striker in, in the first leg of the first game against Brighton, Glenn Murray. So yes, I, I 
it was a very proud moment for me, my family, and obviously everybody connected with Crystal Palace because what they've done since is is excellent. They've grown the club, taken it forward. But I did feel I inherited quite a tough gig there. Um, lost five members of staff that Dougie Freeman took with him up to Bolton. And there must have been something wrong with their relationship, Steve and Dougie, at that time because they split, mm-hmm. you know, and... When when people do split up, they they're back together now, which is fantastic, you know, because it was probably meant to be. But as I say, that that day was something else. Uh, Wilfred Zaha was completely brilliant, and basically he got us there with Kevin Kevin Phillips's penalty. Um, and I had to learn something new. I had to block passing lanes. Um, we had lots of people telling me what where they passed the ball, so we we just blocked their lanes. They couldn't see those passes. So we then counter-attacked and we got won it with a penalty, which was the plan all along. Give it to Wilf. He's going to whoop. And they moved their defender four times. And I moved Wilf four times. So it was like, give the ball to Wilf and he'll win us it. When when you played down at Brighton, um, there was the dressing room thing, wasn't there? Yeah. You got down there. And just tell us a little bit about that because I think Wilf plays a big part in this story, doesn't he? Yeah, he was probably more mortified than anybody in the dressing room. When you when you walk into a dressing room in a away game with a big thing like that, with the, the sky cameras, the last thing you need is a human excrement spread all over the floor. Oh, all up, That was you lot, was it, involved in all that? All over the floor, right? Oh. All up the, the toilet and all over the seat. It wasn't an accident. You know, someone's deliberately done it. So I felt I we never found out who did it, and I'm, not, I, I'm glad I haven't, but what I did was get someone to come and clean it up. And then I insisted to the manager of the stadium that I'm going to go and see their chairman. Right. I told the lads to get out on the pitch. Wilf stopped and waited. He said, Gaffer, I said, look, Wilf, we're better than them because we didn't do that to their dressing room to try and put them off. Someone's let Brighton down. Let's just concentrate and go and win this. And I was talking to him for months and months about getting in on the far post when the balls crossed from the other side. And he scored a diving header. Mm-hmm, Watch it. He gets inside his fullback. And then the second goal was, was sensational. But we did that without our best striker who got 31 goals that year. So that against our local um, rivals, to say the least, you know. Um, so it was a, a surreal moment. And I just said to Tony Bloom, who I said, look, sorry, Tony, someone's let you down. Someone, either a supporter or someone, whatever it is, has got into our dressing room, told him what happened. They all cleaned it all up. He sent me a lovely bottle of wine after, apologising and promised to make sure that security on the dressing room. I could have gone and got the cameras and showed it. I could have made a big... But I chose to do it that way and just said to the lads, just make sure we come out on top. Um, Wilf was completely and utterly, why did they do it, Gaffrey? Why I said, I, we don't know who it is, Wolf. You know, but the fact is, we got to deal with it. And we did. It sounds more like a, that sounds like some silly fan or someone's like, that's done that, doesn't it? It sounds... Absolutely, yeah. But what I was saying to, no way to, the, man, to the manager of the stadium, how can a silly fan get in and do that? Correct. You know, so you Correct, got it yeah. wrong. Someone, someone was wrong, but, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, It wasn't a good thing to happen on such a high-profile match, was it? No, no. So you've gone, you've gone to Wembley. You've, you've won, you've won at Wembley, as you were talking about, and the way 
with the with the Kevin Phillips penalty kit. And then comes the next season. There's a reason why I wanted to say this. Lots of players came in. And my my yeah. my father-in-law, as you know, is a big Palace fan since 1958. And he was saying to me at the time, I think they brought in too many players. Uh, how many of those players were yours? And also, one of the players came in, I have to say this to you, Ian, Florian Morangi, I think his name is, or Morange or something like that. He was a left-back. I saw him play one game for the Palace. I think it was against, it might have been Bristol City, actually. I think it was a League Cup game. Ian, I don't know whether he was your player. He's one of the slowest players I've ever seen. He made me, <laughs> he made me look like a greyhound. Yeah, I know. But, but it was... We we had a, a structure and we'd lost our chief scout. So Doug Dougie had taken, you know, so we actually get to the promised land and I've not got a new chief scout. So we went through it. And, you know, when 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 that's the case, you try and do your own work on players, but we were getting names and names and names and names and names. And then it's down to the relationship between the agent and the owner not necessarily the agent and the manager. Mm. And we were trying to do one really good, which I felt would have been a good bit of business after I was asked to meet the fella. We were going to try and get that wonderful striker from Arsenal who was going out with a princess, Nicholas Bentner. And I, um, I had to go up to London to meet him and because I wasn't sure, you know, I wasn't sure about his... For me, life's about personalities mm -hmm. getting on. And I am brutally honest with people. I want them to try every day to be the best they can be. And if you are the most talented fella in the dressing room, sometimes you don't have to try as hard as the others. But when you play for me, you bloody well do. I can't have that. So he was quite outspoken. He was at Arsenal. He had an injury. And do you know what? I really liked him. I really liked I had some questions for him. I really liked him and I was hoping we were going to get that deal done. And right in the last moment, that deal fell apart. Absolutely fell apart. And I'd have thought, no, that's no problem. We didn't have a backup, not that I knew of. And then when I get home, I look at the telly and, uh, oh, Palace have signed another player. Oh, and, and uh, you, you didn't even know? No. Well, apparently he was waiting down the lane um, Steve felt we needed him and I didn't particularly think I needed him and I didn't get a call about it but Steve really knew his agent very well and he had him stayed there just in case but and as Steve said to me quite rightly really if you think about it logically look Ollie it's my show I said why didn't you tell me I was quite hurt I'm doing this for you or you know I got you up after Dougie has left so hang on a minute. Surely you should tell me that you got someone else lined up. Uh, it's my show, Ollie. Yeah, that's that's that. I, I, yeah. You see, it doesn't work for me. It's my show. Uh, it's, no, but it's, seriously, it's a, fan, it's a fan show, isn't it? I mean, firstly, yeah, but then... Steve's a fan, and look what he's done. What I'm trying to say, it, it was a huge moment for me, and 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 in the rest of my life. Hang on a minute. I'm not as important as I actually thought I was. Oh. I haven't got to say that I actually thought I had. Mm. And the pressure, everybody's aiming at your back, you know, and I told him at the time, I don't know if I can keep you up because I've done it before. So come on, let's just, you wanted me to change the style. They want to still play this way and they got to still play this way because they can't, they don't want the ball at the back. We can't change that. And if you look at the other managers he had after Tony Bulis, 
they were asked to change the style. They, and they couldn't do it. No. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they had a Ronald De Boer, wasn't it? What a, yeah, what a manager. That, yeah, but it turned into a disaster because their back line didn't want to have the ball. Mm. So you can't, you know, unless you're given time to change. But the whole thing is, is when you go in that limelight, when you get that money, when it's all there, oh, my God, it's madness. You're going up against, and the club that Palace was, I, I would say, if, you, if you're talking Waitrose, you know, chopping, what's the most expensive top class? You know, Marks and Spencer's Food Gallery, you know, we can't all afford to go and eat in there, do we? You know, you got your Audi, you got your little, you know. Mm. We, Blackpool, we were a corner shop, mate. <laughs> At least we were a corner shop, right? <laughs> Selling sacks of potatoes outside, you know. <laughs> Whereas Palace were at least the supermarket. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, and, and I know where you're coming from. Yeah. What Steve's done is he's taken on the fact that he wants to create create something that is moving forward. We'll have a chance to be a top flight football club in the future with an infrastructure. You know, so I that's no problem. I got no problem with Steve. But when I'm your manager, surely I have a the final say on every goddamn character that comes in. Mm. Well, that's what I'm saying, because the thing is, like you said, the, the, the fans have got their guns pointed at your back and you're going, I didn't bring him in. But they don't know that. Well, so, the, it's all changing. Uh, lots of football managers aren't called managers anymore, are they? They're head, head coaches. Coach. Yeah, head coach. I, wanna, I, wanna you know, I, don't, I wouldn't I, like to, to coach tell people's what, heads. Though. I don't know where are you going now, Jonathan. But I, I, I'm I'm intrigued. You say about being managers at clubs. Uh, your next uh, appointment. I mean, that's a club to be a manager of, isn't it, Millwall? Yeah, it was. It was the passion was fantastic um, of some of the some of the fans, and it just there was an element in the end that I didn't like, and I started criticising because I don't think my grandchildren should be threatened if they go anywhere near a football ground. I, and I, I realised that when I we were playing Rotherham away, when um, the wrong element of their crowd went. And they started ripping up their ground, trying to terrorise people after we lost 2-1. And once one of the Rotherham fans shouted, Oi, Holloway, you got your name all over it, mate. And I went, what? I don't agree with that. He went, you must do. You work for him. And uh, so I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to have to say something because I think they're ruining the good supporters. And do you know what? I'm delighted for Millwall at the moment, the way it's going with Gary Rowett. I think he's a fantastic fit. The way they're playing, the way they're hanging in there is superb and they're in no trouble. That's exactly what they want. Well done. Keep going. Um, but me, they'll never like me and I don't really care. No one likes us. We don't care. And I don't care because I don't think football is hand in hand with hooliganism anymore. When I was growing up in the schoolyard, that's what happened. That's how you could tell people how passionate you were by having a fight with someone. We don't need to do that in football anymore. I don't want my grandchildren doing it. When I watch the ladies' football, and it's brilliant to see the girls' football and how well they're playing now, um, it was a joy to watch, wasn't yeah. it, in the Euros? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, an yeah. absolute joy to watch. That's what football sports should be about, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, and it, I would get every and it, all those other ones in a cage, let them have your toughest fan, let them have a fight, bet on them, you know? But not not on the street. That don't make sense to me. Never have, never will. No. 
Well, I mean, the old battles, Terry, the, the Bristol City and Bristol Rovers used to play a thing called the Gloucestershire Senior Professional Cup Final. There's only two teams ever in that competition. There was City and the Rovers. And I think that was abandoned in the end, or the competition, because there used to be so much trouble. You know, the City had the East End, Rovers had the Tote End, and there used to be a lot of trouble in, in Bristol, around the streets of Bristol, supporters of the club. So back in the day, it's, it's changed now. I, I want to go on to Blackpool. We've got to take a break. I've got to go on to Blackpool in a minute because I want to talk about that season and, and also the, your family, Ian, if we can. And and I'll go back to Bill, your dad, um, because I know, I want to, I want to know who, yeah. I want to know who, he, who is Ian Holloway? Is he his dad? Is he, is he a man influenced by Jerry Francis? Is he a man influenced by Terry Cooper? Um, we'll do that after the break. JP and T, the football friendly. Well, well, well. Shopping for a car? Yep. Carvana made financing a car as smooth as can be. Oh, yeah? I got pre-qualified instantly and had real terms personalized just for me. Hmm, doesn't get much smoother than that. Well, I got to browse thousands of car options on Carvana all within my budget. Doesn't get much smoother than that. It does. I actually wanted a car that seemed out of my range, but I was able to add a cosigner and found my dream car. It doesn't get much... Oh, it gets smoother. It's getting delivered tomorrow. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Welcome back, JPNT, the Football Friendly, with Ian Holloway. Uh, let's talk Blackpool, Ollie, because I was talking to someone the other day and we were mentioning Blackpool. Uh, oh, because Big Mick's gone there now, Big, Big, Big Mick McCarthy. And the, oh, the, this bloke said, oh, yeah, but look, they only came up one season and, you know, and they were useless. I went, what? A team that won home and away against Liverpool, a team that beat Tottenham at home and a team that would tune up against Manchester United and a team, if they'd taken two points... I think I'm pretty sure I did the game three games out, Ollie, against Stoke. You drew the game nil nil all. If you'd have won that game, you'd have you went down by one point. You'd have stayed up. That was a wonderful experience, wasn't it, for you, Blackpool? Well, Tottenham away was the worst one. We were two one up in the 94th minute, and uh, Jermaine Defoe broke our hearts with a with a strike that, looking back at it. I was at it on slow motion to try and see what was going on. It still went in faster than I could see the ball. <laughs> um, and I got to be honest, that would have given us, um, if I, I brought on a double right back then I brought on Neil Erdley, who just recovered and I had Seamus Coleman playing right back. So I put, took off an attacking winger, put on a double right back and they let a goal in down that side. So, and my lads went, why do you do that? Cause I promised them I'd never make another 
negative substitution. I did it, it ever on away when we were three one up, brought off DJ Campbell. We lost five three. So, you know, my team didn't like me not thinking that we're gonna go and still attack. So yeah, mate, it was um wow. What what can I say about it? You know, I, I was fuming at the start of the season when I we were everybody in the newspapers, particularly the Sun. We're saying that we'll be the worst team in the Premier League history. We won't be worse than Derby County. We won't even get 10 points, you know? And we took points off of 13 in 13 games, which I think was tremendous, you know? But we went there and tried to outplay the other team, not part the bus. But did you show the players that at the beginning of the season? This, this is what they think of us? Or is that something oh, yeah, you wouldn't have yeah. shown the players? No, we, we had a siege mentality anyway, you know, because of the chairman I was working with, you know, he, he, he was against his supporters. He, he, he didn't like the way supporters moan a lot. And, and I, I liked the way he made me feel because I knew exactly where I stood with him. So Carl Oyston and me got on very well and he was a part of it. He was the bad cop. I was the good cop and say, well, go and see him then. Cause you ain't going to get what you're moaning about. What's the point of moaning? Shut up and get on with it. Cause the way we did it was we pay them half the money they should earn and pay the other money if they are successful. So, you know, we got up on the lowest budget ever by quite a mile. It, it was £5 million, but we had a £5 million bonus split pro rata between the squad. So someone who played the old games, which Charlie Adam did, he actually doubled his money. So he was only, only actually getting what a championship player should do. Do you know what I mean? Not not a top of the league player. So he, he had to earn that m- money, you know, and, and we had a lot of people on loan from bigger clubs. We had John Joe Shelby. I only had to pay half his wages. Right. So, you know, that's the way we did it. But, you know, I, I got to say it was, it was all about pressing the ball, putting it in an area that was hard for their defence and, allowing someone as good as Charlie to just float. And uh, we, we, we had some movement and we had all sorts of things going on. And, and you can't change how you coach. When you practice to attack and then you lose the ball and you try and win the ball back as quickly as you can and then you've got to do it again, you can't suddenly change if you're playing in a league where everyone else is better than you. Mm. You have to put what you do up against what they do and see if yours can come out on top enough and we just missed out by one point and I think there was only probably three performances that year where we didn't actually play anything like is to our best and the one I got fined for was Aston Villa away we lost 3-2 to Aston Villa away and I didn't play Charlie Adam and about 10 others oh yeah and I got fined 25 grand for putting out a weakened side I, I don't understand that. That's like that's like the council coming around your house. This is a bit of an ollieism. This it's like the council coming around your house and saying, "No, you can't have your garden like that. You got to move those flowers." Hey, this nonsense. That, that year we had to, we had to submit twenty five man squad named anybody younger than uh, in your youth department. They didn't count, so you could play your own youth players. But you had to have twenty five man named squad. So I submitted mine. It came back fine. So. Anybody in their right mind would be able to think, hang on, I could pick anybody I like at any time out of those 25. Hmm. Yeah, when they looked here, they went, no, no, you've made too many changes. That's too weak a side, right? And I'm trying to stay in the league. 
And I know that my the lads I trained the same way were doing almost... I had a lad called Ludovic Sylvester. I left out Charlie Adam because Ludovic had been tra- trained training so well that he deserved it and Charlie overplayed. So I left him out, you know? And if I'd have played Charlie Adam, I don't think they would have said it was a weakened team. Do you get what I mean? No. And then the following it's Saturday... nonsense. Yeah, but that, that was away at Aston Villa and we played really, really well. Yeah. It was 2-2. And we let a silly goal in in the end with a sub that plays every week. Ian Everett come on and made a mistake. And we let it. Anyway, we beat Tottenham at home two, two day, three days later when I put my other team back in. Because I knew, I knew, I felt those other lads were almost good enough and if not good enough to get us a point, a point at Aston Villa away and then three at home against would have been, would have kept us up. So if how can beat, I be fine? If you'd beaten Villa, uh, do you reckon then they would have said nothing with the fine and what have you? Well, honestly, I believe they couldn't have said that that ain't a good enough team if we beat Villa. Correct. If we'd lost 5-0 to Villa, we're putting... Uh, apparently, I was bringing the game into disrepute. That's what they fined me for. And yet, not, not picking a strong enough team. I mean, don't... Uh, mate, it, it's insane. Oh, it is. I said and- it in my book. It's insane. You, people, people should get the book um, How to Be a Manager. The other one as well, Ollie, uh, your earlier book. Yeah, I've um, read Ollie's. Ollie's great. Ollie, Ollie's great because there's what I don't think people realise is there's Ian Holloway and there's Ollie, <laughs> which which resonates in my life as well. He's brilliant. Yeah, it's the alter yeah, ego. It, it, his alter ego is Ollie. I don't it think is people really weird. I've got to be honest. I don't think wife... people quite realise that there's there's Ian Holloway and Ollie, and when you read the book. It's it's great because Ollie really comes out. It's lovely. It's lovely. And I'll tell you something very quickly while we're on this uh, off piece here. I've got to say, Ian, one of the funniest things I ever heard. It wasn't funny for you because you were really pissed off. But I've never heard in in an interview with a football manager where you offer someone out because he said uh, detrimental things about your lovely missus. And he, uh, do you know this, Jonathan? Uh, he's on the radio going. He's lost it. Going. I'll give him my address. And he can meet me up and we can sort it out. Do you remember this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mate, it was, uh, yeah, like life's weird. It, you know, the, the, that, I think that was about, not my wife, that was, that, that was about um, Paul Furlong. Oh, was it? Sorry, I do apologise. But I just yeah, remember he, you he, going. He paid for Chelsea and our fans were giving him stick because he's missing and he's our player. But they're giving him stick, not for missing, but for being an ex-Chelsea reject as they were singing to him. And I, I and I didn't think it was helping. So I, all of you lot, you're getting on my nerves. Here's my address. Let's come up. We'll have a scrap on the grass, you know, if that's what you want. And I, I want it to sound ridiculous, right? Did I really want to do that when I don't agree with that? You know, as Michael Jackson said, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You imagine me fighting with anybody? I could. I, I, I know what your point was. As your a point smaller was... person, but I, I was trying to make it a ridiculous thing. Yeah, but yeah. first, I brought Gary Penrose up after that to to help first, right? And what Gary did was genius. He said, "What well, I'm going to help you with what you're good at." Ollie said that he, you know he's out offer him out last week, and and Paul Furlong went, "Oh, I'm good at missing." So <laughs> Gary set up. You got the gold mouth like that, and then he's put a, po- a post outside the p- outside post by a yard, and then another yard, two poles stuck in the ground. I cross it in, and Furs had to try and see how many times it took to get a brilliant miss. 
<laughs> put it one yard in that gap. So one cross, one header, first side. Penny went, go the other side, Ollie. If you can do that again, then then we'll finish. So I did it again. He volleyed it straight in. And Penny went, look, you just got to change your thinking, mate. He went, I understand. Don't think getting in that play. You, you just think about scoring. You'll be fine. Yeah. I know you say you keep getting in the positions and you believe you'll score. He said, you think about missing. Right, so get rid of that. You're not going to miss. You're going to score. If you're that good at missing, you can score. And from that day onwards, the rest of Paul's career, he got one in three out of the chances wow. he got. And Gary Penrose, we were talking about Bristol Rovers earlier in the podcast. Gary was another one who came through. He was a Mangotsfield lad just north of Bristol. And uh, he was a good player. He scored goals wherever he was, Watford. And uh, and he, he worked with Ian, uh, if people don't know, at QPR. And then down at Plymouth, you had him down there. Leicester, I think you had him up at Leicester. Yeah. And uh, he's still influential. I had him at Blackpool. On, on a, he, was, he was helping me at Blackpool as well. Um, who, he's who, helped me everywhere I've been, to be honest. Who has helped you most? Jerry Francis had a big role and took you to QPR, didn't he, as a as a, as a footballer? I bet he's got the same hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, he has. <laughs> Mate, it is what it is. It wouldn't be Jerry without, no, without that. No, I love that hairstyle. Um, I, have to, I have to say there's been some wonderful people helped me. I, you know, I got to give the first lot out to people like Tom Stanton, who was in the youth um, set up at Bristol Rovers. Bill Dodgin, um, absolutely genius of a man. Bobby Campbell was brilliant. And uh, Harold Jarman. Harold, oh, Harold, what a fantastic coach. I used to go in with him on a Monday night after doing a Monday daytime with people like Bobby Gould. Um, I then went in to, to do Harold's session because we had some part-time pros. And on a Monday night, I'd go and join in. I, I, I wanted to hear what he would say. Someone put me on the wing. So, you know, could I get anything? But really... It wasn't until I met Jerry that Jerry actually told me how I could get better. And that's what I was desperate for. I didn't want to hear I had a bad game because when you have a bad game, you want to do something about it. And and Jerry corrected our faults because he was such a good coach. And it was very simple. Like, you know, if I'm marking someone in the box and I look too far at the ball, my shoulders are twisted a quarter turn. And he went, oh, it's just your shoulders all up. You've got to be able to see him out the corner of your eye. So if you twist, don't show him your number. Don't show him your number. And, and do you know what? He corrected every one of us, even Nigel Martin, when we got him. You're too, too near your near post. Don't, what, don't listen to England, what they're telling you. Jerry was a genius when it came to that. But, and, and on top of that, it was all about how he saw the game. You are better than that. You can do this. I never forget. I, I wanted to practice all the time. And he, and he, he said, you're, you're not seeing the pictures, right? Can you move out of the way? I'm going to... You, you see what I want it bent, it... bent in past his left ear hole, right? In between the near post and his left ear hole. Can you see that? And I went, yeah. He said, ready, Devon? Go on, you go. So he... And Jerry put it right in there. He could see where it was going. And he went, you can do that. Now you've seen me do it. I believe you can do that. But you got to see that in your mind and your feet and your brain will do it. Believe in yourself, right? And when it wasn't going right, he'd shout, you, where were you when you when you, you weren't doing nothing without me? Now shut up and get it, because he was a bit like my dad used to be. You know, my dad was like that, and I wanted to please him. So it worked a treat. Jerry was absolutely, he made my life, mate, honestly. Gordon Bennett, I've already told you about, but, you know, it, it's all about the senior pros in and around Bristol Rovers. Lindsay Parsons deserves a mention. Because he would grab you by the throat and say, well, I ain't sure about you, son. Well, you know, and it, it, honestly, they were all 
Phil Bater. You know, they, they would protect you. Tony Pulis nearly ripped someone's head off against Derby County when I was on the wing because he punched me in the stomach after I went round him. And Tony saw it, so he got him, got there as quick as he could, which was a bit late, and left it on him and said, Oi, oi, you, yeah, oi, you, you touch him again and you'll get double that. So, anyway, it was all a bit weird, you know. So, but how can I say, Jerry Francis, all those people taught me how to pass a move, and I wasn't allowed to do it till I went to, till I went to Crystal Palace, uh, QPR. That's when that team that I was in, when I played, Jerry said, you might only be sub, but I want you to be here because you'll, you'll rub off on them. They'll do the training that you you do, and I want you in this group. You know, you might be prepared. You might not ever play. It'd be down to you. So, And then Ray Wilkins said to me, I'm going to play for another five years if you could do all that running and all that tackling and then give it. And, and what I did, I gave him the ball, and he did those passes that I couldn't do because I wanted to be Glenn Oddle, but I couldn't. So you have to realise what you're good at. Yeah, and even then, I I struggled with my own self belief when I went to QPR until Gary Penrose came, my best mate. We signed him from Aston Villa, and he looked at me and said, "What are you trying to do those turns for? Why are you trying to do all that fancy stuff? He brought you to be who you are, you idiot. Mm. Just play like you did at Rovers. That'll be easily good enough." So I did. I you know I I tried to be like Clive Wilson and drop. You just can't do it. Do you know what I mean? So you gotta be you gotta realise who you are, you've got to realise your job and try and be as good as you can possibly be at it, and then you might get some consistency in your life. Play and your that's hand. what I found. Play your hand. And you played hundred and forty seven games, I think, or something for Palace. Uh, uh, Chris uh, QPR, QPR if you yeah. are even. Yeah. So yeah. obviously you did get in the team then. <laughs> we did, yeah, we did. Hugely popular I did. as well. Hugely popular still yes, very, very popular man uh, as as player and manager. And I just wonder, Ian, you've mentioned there your dad again, and I know, I know, you, I I never met Gene, your mum, but I met your dad, yeah. Um, yeah. and you've mentioned Jerry there and, and the role older people have had on your life. I just wonder how much of a person Ian Holloway has become because of younger people in his life, and and he and Kim, his wife, had four kids: William, um, Eve. Um, Chloe and Harriet, aren't they, the, your kids? Yeah, aren't they? And, and the, three, the three girls were were born um, were born deaf, weren't they, Ian? And I just yeah. wonder. And I know you've worked with the with with the charities and everything, and and you've worked very close in sign language. I just wonder what effect those young people have had in making Ian Holloway. Yeah. Um... Well, that's what you live for, isn't it? You know, you, you, you live for your family and that's what my dad taught me. Um, he, uh, he was big on that, you know. I got a, a sister, Sue, who's six years older than me, a brother, John, who's nine years older than me and I was the baby of the family. So, boy, oh boy, did we have a family situation. So, you know, I learned from him how to love someone else more than yourself. He showed us that every day and he loved my mum somewhat rotten and then he would give us the effect, affection if we behaved correctly. If we wouldn't have done, we were severely disciplined and I got no problem with any of it because it made us who we are, you know. Um, I've taken that on with my lot and it's very difficult, the difference between having a hearing son and three 
deaf daughters because even the discipline is wrong. You can't raise your voice. You can't call them if they're misbehaving they're moving away from you and there's cars coming when they're little. It's really dangerous. So it's always, it's about learning that culture of tapping someone and turning the lights on and off to get their attention, stamping your foot on the floor, they'll feel the vibration. It's totally different. And, and we were very fortunate that my wife, Kim, who got over cancer, who was told she couldn't have any children, is such a marvellous person. Because I was very angry about it all. I didn't know what to do. I was panicking a little bit. But she just puts everything in the right... Imagine a big row of pigeonholes of life in front of you from top to bottom. She'd just go bang with importance. Oh, that's put that there. Oh, put that there. You know, we'll be fine. And throughout that, we, we just learned to use British sign language. And now my daughters are fully grown up. My son's fully grown up. He was, he's 35 today, my boy, Will. And uh, they've, they're all parents. They all got their own children. Um, we got eight grandchildren and one of them's deaf and the other seven are hearing. So my daughters have got the opposite to me. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, they, they, they've got people who need English and they've also given them sign language. So it, it's amazing. So our grandchildren can sign. And mm. what that does is, is quite amazing. Our youngest daughter, Harriet, has got a, uh, a young son. He's the youngest, Finn. He's not two yet. He's 18 months. And um, he's signing perfectly. He's got a deaf dad and a deaf mum. And we're, I had nothing to worry about, to be honest with you. Absolutely nothing to worry about. But Brilliant. it does, it, it did make me, realize how important everything you say is every single word that my daughters don't understand. I'd look, look up some words to make sure I can get it across to them what that really means. And, and it's helped me in my management, you know, confidence, for example, you know, if you could buy that and give it to someone, it'd be a really expensive commodity, wouldn't it? But all it is, is uh, your mind's perception of an, an anticipation of a positive outcome. So anybody in right now, if you're having some worries and what have you, hang on, just stop there. Think a minute and think, actually, I can do this. We are going to do that. We are going to do well here. We can do this. So you can instantly become confident when you know about words. So it's really helped me in my life, you know, and I'm very, very proud of my daughters who are care workers. They help deaf and blind people every day. Um, and I'm really, really proud. I had absolutely nothing to worry about. That's well, incredible. That's, that, that is incredible. And, and that's great words, uh, Ian. Fantastic words, that. I, I, really brilliant. When, when you hear Ian talk about that, you know, Terry, because um, we, we know, we've known each other for a long, long time, and when I then interviewed Ian uh, when he was at Blackpool and Queen's Park Rangers and at the Palace, um, you know, for match of the day, and people heard the sound bites, they heard the Ollieisms, and they and they thought that was him. And to a certain extent, that is you, Ian, isn't it? But to another extent, you know, the. But I remember you saying to me, 
I remember you saying to me in an interview because because you you were very kind and said, "Look, you've done really well in your career." Because we had one thing against us: the national the national perception is that I didn't speak like this when I started on Radio Bristol. I spoke, you know, I spoke like that's a goal. Mm. The city mm. score is a goal, and um, <laughs> and and they had that perception of me when I started, and they had that perception of Ian that 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 West Country, you know, that, that Wurzel perception. Yeah, 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 and. Um, it, I, I was always proud when I met Ian, you know, I, I always had this tingle of proud of pride when I met Ian, when we did interviews, because I don't know why. So I think you're a fascinating character. Ian. But everybody, lo- everybody loves Ian Holloway when it comes on, on as well. So let's not get rid of Ollie, the Ollie Ollie side. Cause you know, as much as they're great words there, you know, we can't forget the funny side. Cause some of, you know, just the straightness of Ian Holloway, any football fan will agree. He's brilliantly hilarious at times. And, and rightly so not even trying just, just brilliant. Just cause of the yeah, honesty. T- Terry, I Terry, I, I've had to, I, I've had to deal with my life like that, you know? And, and I was brought up around laughter. My dad yeah. loved people and, and he found things funny and he had his serious side. Of course he did. I, you know, I, I had a, a very strict upbringing. and I had to be in it eight o'clock, even when I'm 16, 17, 18, I couldn't go anywhere because he didn't think I'd be a footballer. You know, it wasn't until I was 18. He said, well, you're a man now you can do what you like. And why don't you get your own house? Cause then you won't have me checking what time you're coming in and going out. <laughs> He said, but I, I wanted you to be disciplined. So, you know, and he was, you know, but like life is in control of the event that you're given and the event that you've got to suffer. And some of our, some of people have had to suffer somewhat terrible hmm. where I've, I've always been very, very fortunate. I have been a healthy up together person. My wife, Kim had to deal with cancer and to watch her deal with it and have her chemotherapy and have a one in three chance of surviving and seeing how she did it was quite incredible, you know, and to be part of that um, w- was quite incredible. But I've also had laughter at my saddest moments because that's who I am. I have to deal with things that way. And, and if you take yourself too seriously, I believe you end up completely up yourself. And what good's that? No. You have to be humble. You have to keep your feet on the ground. And, and some of the things my dad used to tell me, my mum used to, to tell me was, you know, go in the front door, not the back door, never that. And if they don't like you, they'll throw you out. If you land on your bum, get back up, go back in again. Never give up. And oh, I've been very, very lucky, you know, very, very lucky. I don't think I've changed from school days, you know, where no. all my friends will tell you I, for, I was sick, uh, uh, sickly competitive, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was the youngest by quite a distance on each of my life. But, you know, it from my sister and my brother, I mean, and I didn't think things were fair, but I couldn't have asked for a better upbringing. That's why I'm so happy. I couldn't have asked for for anything. If, if I wouldn't have got my wonderful wife back, if she'd have been gone by cancer, I don't think I'd have been happy at all, ever. No. So what more can I do apart from love every minute of my life, have a big bit of a laugh, I love doing after dinner speeches. I get comedians and I can't stop laughing at their gear. You know, I always let them go first because I love a laugh, you know, mm. and it is really important that we try to enjoy and we try to endure whatever life gives us and have a positive response to yeah. the event in your life that you can, can, you can't control. And I believe if you have a positive response, some of those negatives that we all get 
you can turn into a positive. And I think that's what successful people do. Now, I'm not saying I'm successful. I wanted to be a winner. But I now know what a winner is. A winner is a loser who never, ever gives in. Wow. That's the truth. And and no matter what hits you, you can still be a winner. I've known people who've gone bust, come back and made a fortune again because they're determined. Not everything goes right for successful people. They make it go right in the end by never giving up. You know, and, and it, however bad the infliction that you've been given is, if you have a positive outcome, like some of the marvellous people who have got terrible things happen to them, look at them, mate. Look at they, the inspiration they are, you know, in the disabled games. Oh, my God, some of those people, I watch it and I'm so full up with love for them and, and look at them. And they had a choice to make. Did they sit and wallow or did they take a positive response? And do you know what? It's a joy, mate. And I, and that's why I laugh. That's why I love it. Because wow. I try and enjoy every single moment that I can. Because it's much nicer laughing than it is crying. Absolutely. That That is, uh, well, what a way to bring this to an end, eh, Jonathan? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I just asked to ask him one more question. I, can uh, I just say one thing? I don't think there's, we've done a podcast where you and I have not really said very much. No. And I mean that. I mean that in a... In um in the right way, does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's just been wonderful to listen to you, Ian. No, I'm really... totally busy. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, it's just wonderful to listen to these wise words. And 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 you know, as all football fans have celebrated Ian Holloway all through the years, you know, it's just incredible. But go on, sorry, Jonathan. Well, yeah, people can people can hear Ian through the words of the book. You know, how to be a football manager or Ollie the early yeah, the, one. They Ollie's can hear brilliant. his Ollie's voice brilliant. through the words. Yeah, you, you it's um, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's totally true, Jonathan, because you read it and you can only hear you talking. It, it's very true, that. I would like to ask Ian one last question after his last thoughts. Are you then still full of love and joy for me because I am <laughs> Bristol City... Until I die, son. Until I die. Mate, let me let me put something straight, right? I couldn't I couldn't have tried any harder for my team that I cared about. And it would have been nice for me and you to be able to sit down, have a pint, and I probably bought them both, like I said earlier on. And then we could have chatted warmly with a bit of joy about a Bristol City good result. Whereas We've always been on the opposite sides of things, but I can't help that, me. You know, I can't help that. And I don't hold it against you. I, I believe our banter that we've had over the years is how football fans should deal with things. And I hope they get where you want them to for the kids of Bristol. We have not had a top-flight football club for so many years, it's incredible. Bristol City managed to do it. They went to Division 1, as it was back then. They lasted one year, and then they went down three other times in a row after that, four times in a row, which is heartbreaking for anybody in our... I have How far have I got a drive to see a Premier League game? I had to leave my own city to go and follow my ambition. It's not right. I don't want young people from Bristol to have to do that. I believe Rovers are... Improving and improving, and I believe they will get there if they can get a new ground. And I believe Bristol City will one day get there, you know, if it weren't for 
whole city, they'd have already been there, wouldn't they? It but, is a um, way to bring you both together. You just get you get Bristol City and Bristol Rovers fans in the room waiting to tear shreds out of each other, and you just send in one Cardiff fan and go, look at you, Bristol scum, and then they all come yeah. together. Mate, Jonathan, how embarrassed are you about Bristol football? Because you're in the real world of football and people don't give a monkeys about it because it's not even important. Well, yeah, you know? it, yeah, it is to me though because I'm a South End fan, so it's always registered to me. I've even watched you play several times, so yeah, it does register to a lot yeah. of fans. But in the big Premier League world, then maybe you're, you're correct. But no, we're we not being blessed. But you know, at the end of the day, your affliction to who you love and the reasons why—that's what football's about. I don't ever want it to change. I think it's marvelous. I think we should all be able to have a beer and, and a chat and no no punches, just. There we go. Isn't that great? And well yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of gloating here and there. You know, I'm sure Man United fans will be hiding away from anybody they know <laughs> who who are Liverpool fans at the moment. But that's life. <laughs> yeah, of course. Can't well, listen, we, 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 the text. We've been, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up your backside, but we have been blessed to have you on with us. Oh, it's and, been brilliant. It's yeah. been honestly, truly... Ian, it's been brilliant. I, I've I've just I've just been sitting here listening to a podcast, basically. Ironically, this is all I feel I've been doing. It's just amazing. Well, you, it's, thank one, you of my, for it's one of my favourites. Platform, platform to do it, you know. And I know a lot of people enjoy listening to this, and you know that that's because of you, the pair of you. Well done, congratulations, thanks. Ian. Thanks so much. See you soon, mate. Cheers, Ian. Thanks so much. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.